This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, I'm Mark Rico. I'm head of content and programming for Mouth Media Network, which produces this show. After more than 75 episodes and many amazing guests, it was worth a look back at some of the standout conversations over the life of travel is your business and highlight some of them again. Blockchain, AI, NDC. There are so many innovations on the horizon. But what do the leaders of the travel tech infrastructure have to say about it? Coming up, you'll hear from the head of innovation of airlines for the world's largest GDS, Amadeus, have a dialogue with the operating principal of one of the most forward-thinking travel venture groups, JetBlue Ventures, about what the future of travel holds. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. I'd like to introduce to the stage Rishesh Jethi, who is the SVP Engineering for Americas and Head of Innovation for Amadeus. Please give him a round of applause, guys. Um, yeah, I'd like to in, uh, invite Bess Chapman, who's the operating principal at JetBlue Ventures, uh, to come speak and uh, moderate the, the fireside chat with Rishesh. JetBlue Ventures is the uh, venture arm for JetBlue Airways, for anyone who doesn't know uh, specifically. So thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well done. That was fascinating. Thank you. Um, and I think, first of all, something I really noticed you kicked off with was AI. Um, what does AI mean for our industry, and how is it going to affect the way people travel and plan their trips in the future? Well, thank you. I mean, I've, it was tongue-in-cheek, but um, this definition came from, um, there's a very, if you're interested in artificial intelligence, uh, there's a book written by uh, Pedro Domingos. It's called The Master Algorithm. He's a professor um, at one of the leading universities in the Northwest and uh, does a lot of work, has actually consulted extensively with Google and, and Facebook, and is by far one of the recognized experts in uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. And uh, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but we really have a tendency to think of AI as everything that hasn't been invented yet. Right? So if you look at AI, the, one of the first AI conferences, okay, I'll throw in another impromptu quiz. Any guesses when the first AI conference happened? 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, 2 years, 30 years? 30, 30 I have a 30 here. Anybody else? It's more than 50 years ago. This problem of, of almost right after computers were invented, right, is how do we get computers to really be super intelligent and do all the boring stuff that we never want to do? It's been around a long time. What has changed now is the availability of super cheap, you know, hypercomputing cloud. You can go buy stuff uh, by the drink. And really what that has meant is for our industry, um, what used to be really dependent on having massive investments in, in uh, computer systems and super smart people, you know, really now just requires a lot of data and super smart people because the computing is all there. And you can pick your favorite cloud provider. They all have terrific capabilities. Um, if you're a company like us, or I'm, I'm sure you guys, you have your own technology and you can run uh, algorithms on, on massive data sets. So there's a lot of uh, potential there in terms of what uh, AI can do. Broadly speaking, where we are starting to see is conversational commerce, you know, the Alexas or the chatbots. Um, and frankly, not a lot of uh, companies have gotten that right yet. I mean, there's a lot of chatbots out there 
But today we still use our mobile apps for the, for the most part to interact with uh, different brands in the travel uh, chain. Um, that's definitely an area that's ripe. You know, if you're an entrepreneur looking to make, you know, a quick buck or get, get something out there quickly, I'd say focus on that space. You know, there's uh, companies need to have that because that's how we interact, you know, Facebook Messenger or, or any other kind of uh, bot technology. That's out there. On the other end, you have these massive data sets that are generated throughout the travel stage. How can you use that to make a more personalized recommendation? You know, so for people who travel a lot, there's a certain set of patterns we have or habits that we have. So can you get a more personalized recommendation when you travel? Uh, what I touched on a few minutes ago, can you have a better personalized experience when I travel? If you know I'm always flying JetBlue from Boston to, to New York, you know, at some point it'd be great to just be recognized for that or, you know, be given a, a special seat that I, I like if that's available. And, and how do you think machine learning sits on top of that, right? So you have artificial intelligence and then machine learning. They're kind of closely tied. Um, and then what does it mean when airlines and other travel providers really start to know their customers? So you mentioned giving, this, giving people certain seats, but how about marketing to the customer? Um, how will that affect it? So machine learning is actually, I call it one of the disciplines of AI. Right? I think the others are deep learning, neural networks. And the whole premise behind machine learning is that unlike, if you think of kind of programmatic ways in which algorithms mostly work, where you look for, let's take flight search. You look for flights from airport A to airport B, and there is essentially a, a statistical model that looks at all the different combinations and returns a set of uh, searches, applies pricing algorithms to it, and that's kind of your first you know, 30 results that you get. And then you kind of pick from there or you move on to the next 30 set of results. Machine learning says is you don't program those up front. What you do is you just feed the computer all the data, and the learning algorithms kind of starts figuring out that Bess you know, always likes to fly JetBlue whenever possible, you know, before she switches to other airlines out of JFK. So I know you fly out of J JFK. I know you prefer this airline. I may know that your most of your trips are to your uh, venture offices in San Mateo, and so you fly to San Francisco a lot. Now, I already have so much information on you. Before we get to the more personal aspects of do you prefer window or aisle, do you uh, like a certain kind of meal, do you prefer morning flight or evening flight, if you have that information, machine learning can essentially help you make sense of that information that you can opt into and that you can do organically as you go about you know, your, your travel uh, search process and make you a more personalized recommendation. Um, and that's a very real application. I've seen companies do that, uh, airlines do that. In fact, um, JetBlue and Amadeus have co-invested in a startup that uh, uses machine learning on a, in a different part of, of uh, the whole search uh, part around pricing. So again, has a lot of opportunity in my opinion. Yeah, so all of these things are very exciting, but what challenges do we face when it comes to a lot of legacy technology um, in our industry and, and trying to innovate on top of that? That's a really good question. And, um, you know, very selfishly, you know, looking at Amadeus, I'm so glad we have no legacy technology. You know, we got, uh, we retired all of our mainframes. Um, it was a massive... You know, eight to ten year project, but we are completely on open systems. 
unfortunately, I don't think everybody is there yet. Um, a lot of people that compete with us in this space are running on, on mainframes, which are, um, you know, extremely uh, well-regarded, reliable. We use them for close to 30 years. But the one thing they are not is they're not flexible. They're not open. Uh, it's not easy to, to talk to them. It's not easy to change them. Uh, by the way, if you are a young computer science graduate, you know, getting out of college today or next year or the next two years, you want to go work in mainframes? Probably not. Uh, there's no talent pool for that. So fundamentally, I do think our industry does have a problem. Um, if you don't go through the really hard and somewhat expensive task of freeing yourself from legacy infrastructure, it does become hard, harder to innovate. And um, I'd say one example is work with a company like Amadeus. We are fairly open. We have uh, we are very modern uh, thinking. But there's so many players in the travel ecosystem. And everybody, to be fair uh, to the point you're raising, everybody is at a very different maturity kind of spot when it comes to their technology infrastructures. And that does become a challenge. You know, so if you are trying to stitch together that perfect experience, you know, but you are working with different technology stacks, that does become a challenge. However, most forward-looking uh, travel suppliers you know, are making those investments or are moving you know, to open systems, to enabling open access, to having APIs, um, to encouraging you know, entrepreneurship and innovation. And so hopefully that's a positive sign. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, coming from the airline side, I absolutely saw that. I was with JetBlue Airways prior and, you know, trying to innovate every single thing we tried to do. We were held back by our existing systems. And I think airlines are really starting to invest in leapfrog. Um, but it's it's been challenging. Um, and on that note, another challenge that, that I've faced as an investor is regulation. We are in a very regulated industry with things like GDPR coming up. Um, how do you face that? And um, what are your thoughts on, on regulation as um, an inhibitor to innovation? Well, if, if I could tweet my way out of regulation, that would be a start. I would certainly um, do that. Uh, I, we have to acknowledge that a lot of the regulation is there for a reason, and frankly, a lot of it is to keep us safe. Um, you know, most of us kind of go about our, our required travel without a thought to, will I get to where I'm going safely, whether that's, you know, hopping in a ride-sharing service or um, sailing across the, across the ocean. So there is a place for regulation. Um, I would not say all regulation is, is bad. Uh, and again, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're looking to innovate and disrupt in this space, be respectful for the regulation that's there. Most of there is there for a reason. And if you don't like it, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to change it by yourself. So I'd say having awareness of the regulation is a very important part of coming up with good solutions. And a lot of companies that we see, you know, I would say they want to change everything fundamentally. And that's a very... Uh, enviable spirit. If you want to make a difference and if you actually want to build a good business, I would say be aware of uh, kind of the guardrails you have to play with. That being said, there are changing regulations which create opportunities uh, by themselves. GDPR is a good example. It's going essentially this week. It's going into, into force uh, in all the European markets that, that we operate in. And that has created opportunities for entrepreneurs to come up with solutions, you know, because not all travel providers essentially will be able to keep up with the regulation at the same pace. 
Yeah, I, I agree. That's a, a great response. Um, and, and speaking of regulation, it kind of brings me to our friends at the TSA um, and, and airports in general. Such antiquated infrastructure there. Um, you know, there is a Shake Shack now at JFK, so that's probably the biggest innovation we've seen. <laughs> um, but but where in sort of the airport cycle of the travel ribbon do you see um, the biggest white space for disruption? Um, and what's happened there so far that, that maybe is behind the scenes that we're not seeing? So I, this is a little bit left field prediction, so bear with me and, and feel free to laugh if you want to. Um, I think airports are going to be the malls of the future. They're going to be these, these mega malls uh, that just happen to have a flight at each end of it. And if you see some of the, the forward-looking airports, and I, unfortunately not too many you know, in our country here, but if you travel a little bit outside and you see the innovation that is happening at airports, um, it, it's very, very focused around the traveler experience, but it's also very focused around commerce. And it's, as a traveler, because of all the regulations and because of all the requirements, you're almost forced to arrive at the airport you know, a certain number of hours before your flight. Now you're there. What do you do once you're there? Well, you can sit in a bucket chair and be on your phone, or you could go shopping, you could get a massage, you could have a nice gourmet meal, you could um, do a video call you know, with uh, colleagues back at work. And I, I see a lot of the leading airport authorities really shifting their mindset to say, how can we, we have kind of almost captive audiences, you know, who for the most part, you know, have nothing else planned for that time between the time they are here to the time they get on the, the, air, air, uh, the airplane. And how can we make the most of it? So I do see that there will be a lot more uh, shifting of airports as these kind of oases of commerce and relaxation. The part that's really causing friction right now is kind of getting from the curb till uh, the gate. And I think we're starting to see some very interesting innovation in that area, uh, in that area you know, especially in the use of biometrics, in the use of pre-screening. How do you uh, really make that a fast track, not just you know, put a board that says fast track and still takes you two hours, but how do you make it fast track? How do you make it frictionless? Um, you hear a lot, again, going back to the World Economic Forum, there's a, a working body on digital identity and what does it mean to be able to go through without having to constantly fumble with your boarding pass or your phone and you know, show your ID in four different places. It's definitely one of the exciting areas. And I know you guys have done some trials at JFK. I'm sorry, at Logan Airport in Boston. Uh, we've done that with one of our customers at LAX as well. And the early results are frankly astonishing. I, I agree. I think biometrics is going to be massively impactful just as far as the seamless travel ribbon um, and not having to constantly take your phone out or find your boarding pass or find your ID um, while you're while you're journeying through the airport, I also think what you said about the mall of the future is fascinating. We look at data around our customers um, at JetBlue, and what we find is they spend an enormously significant amount at the airport versus where versus what they spend at home. Um, we call it kind of travel brain, right? When you're when you're out 
um, and on a trip, you kind of leave your cares behind, whether that be your diet and you're eating JetBlue's free Doritos on the flight um, when you usually try to eat clean or whatever the case may be. Um, people are much more likely to spend at the airport than they are um, in their day-to-day lives. Um, so speaking of airports, a huge technology application we've seen um, is IoT in airports. Um, and as far as between the different um, machines and players that you see um, on the um, tarmac. So where do you see the application of IoT within the travel ribbon? Is it within airports or beyond? So I think there was a, a question coming up on slide also yeah. on that. So I, there's clearly interest in that. Um, I would, before I, I joined Amadeus in 2015, I spent... Uh, six years at Cisco Systems. And uh, Cisco was one of the first ones to identify the potential behind IoT and what was also for a brief period referred to IOE, the Internet of Everything. I think they dropped the everything and said, let's talk about things. Um, And the reason is that you are seeing the rollout of all these devices, you know, sensors, you know, cameras, um, wearables, uh, essentially things that, you know, have always been around, but now are connected back, you know, through these ubiquitous networks, through Wi-Fi networks, cellular networks, are always now have a call home capability. So you no longer have a thing. You have a thing that's aware of, of who it is, where it is, and is constantly talking to other things around it or talking back to the mothership, you know, if you may. And that's really where... Um, I think there are a few applications we can think of. There's probably a lot more that we cannot think of right now. Uh, just in terms of, you know, variables, you know, going to get more and more ubiquitous. Uh, devices we put on board uh, airplanes, devices we have in the airports, you know, the cameras that we use, the boarding pass scanners, um, the, um, the technology in the lounges, the networks we have, the beacons that a lot of airports are rolling out. Right now, it's all still fragmented. There's a couple of airports doing really interesting stuff with indoor location-based services, but it doesn't tie back into uh, your phone unless you have a specific application you've loaded. So the trick is going to be you know, being able to identify you as a traveler and then kind of really give some level of contextual awareness about who you are and what's around you, and really, again, offering a more tailored, more personalized experience. It's really interesting. Um, And now to another question from the audience. Um, How do you see partnerships as far as product development? Um, How do you see working with other brands or technology companies to help move your product forward and market it? So uh, I would definitely, let me give that answer in two parts. I give it as uh, Amadeus and kind of what we do. And then I want to talk about kind of broadly where I see the industry can, can, do, can do a lot more. Uh, one of the things that, that we do and we have done now for a while is uh, recognize that good ideas come from everywhere. Uh, we started off by having a very kind of focused innovation process internal to the company. We have 15,000 employees in literally you know, every corner of the world. Uh, and we have a very um, interesting process by which we solicit ideas and we work on ideas, whether it's for product improvement, new products, technology, what have you. But a few years ago, we also said it's important to tap into the creative energy that comes from our customers, our partners, you know, literally anybody with, with, a, with a good idea. And so we have um, a whole innovation 
kind of portfolio that has a venture fund, that has a startup uh, program. Carrie Ziles going to be on stage here later from our startup program. We have um, opened up a lot of our APIs, you know, for other people to build applications around that. So to me, these are all things that uh, we should be doing in the travel industry is encouraging innovation, you know, wherever it happens. And part of that comes from being comfortable in what you have and what you offer uh, to open it up. Certainly, you know, we take our, our inspiration and our cue not from our traditional legacy competitor, quote-unquote GDS players, but we take our partnership and our, our uh, philosophy from people we partner with, like Google, you know, like Amazon, like uh, Facebook. And if you look at all these platforms, you know, these are all what you call modern technology companies. They're all very open. You know, they, they all offer open access. They all offer a lot of free services. And yet they are incredibly profitable, great places to work at. Uh, there is a model there, and I think that's where the travel industry needs to get to. Obviously, you don't want somebody open sourcing, you know, aircraft maintenance and aircraft design because of all the, the issues we talked about. But there's so many other things you can do other than the physical transport, you know, that, you know, may the best uh, woman or the may the best man win with their ideas and their technology. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Talk a little bit about AI, machine learning, IoT. Is there any technology that you think is overhyped um, in our industry that you think everyone's kind of has gotten excited about or is kind of talking about that you think actually is overhyped and won't make it? Uh, so full disclaimer, this is a personal opinion. I do not represent my employer. Uh, in my opinion, I think blockchain is completely overhyped. There was a conference wow. on blockchain in New York City. First. There was a conference on blockchain in New York City last week. I don't know if any of you went there. Um, you know, today it takes 10 minutes to process a a Bitcoin transaction. I don't know if you know that. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Not 10 a minute. 10 minutes to process one transaction. You know, um, Amadeus does at at our peak, we do three million transactions a second. So. I think, um, I'm not saying blockchain doesn't have potential, will not be there. Uh, my son kind of taunts me. He's invested uh, half of his meager you know, earnings in Bitcoin. 
So um, we'll see how that, that pans out. But uh, I'm, I'm sure there is a potential there. There's a there there. It's not there right now. So when you're talking about the hype cycle, I think people are talking about blockchain disrupting everything um, tomorrow. Maybe I know we have a panel here to talk about, among other things, blockchain. So I'd be curious to see kind of expert and, and practitioner views. But I think that's one where it's a pro, it's a solution looking for a problem. It's like here you can do this all, you know, in a centralized ledger. What problem are you trying to solve? And are you going to be able to solve it at a price point and a performance and with security that your current solutions demand? Right. So uh, it's right now it's a it's an answer looking for a for a question. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, and I appreciate you sticking your neck out on that one. Um, but And I think it's interesting as an investor, um, we look a lot at blockchain for our loyalty program at JetBlue Airways and really have tried to make that work. And I think, you know, your thought of that it's a, pro- a solution looking for a problem is right. We just have not been able um to really implement it, because um, we do think there's a lot of buzz there, and what we found is it's it's just buzz. Um, so, anyway. but that is that is sorry to interrupt, but that that is actually one of the the better applications if you think of yeah. loyalty, because you can run it on a private blockchain, and it's a limited set of partners, uh, and that process is extremely fragmented today. And so, if you want to have shared loyalty between your airline and your ground transportation partner and your hospitality partner. To me, that's actually one of the better use cases. It still has to be kind of, I, you know, as a technologist, uh, I'd always say, what can you do there that you cannot do with a really good, cheap database, right? Uh, and uh, the answer there is it's a federation and it's multiple partners. It's adding, uh, taking away partners. It's doing the settlement. So there's a lot of uh, value there. So that's actually, I think, one of the good areas. The other one that we are experimenting with uh, with an airline customer and an airport is around baggage uh, tracing. That's another one that has a lot of players. There's the airport. You know, think of, you know, you're flying um, a North American airline from here to Europe and a European airline from Europe to Asia and an Asian airline from Asia to back to, to North America through the Pacific. You, you know, three different airlines, four different airports. Um, everybody's on different systems. That's another good area to say, can you use blockchain you know, where everybody's kind of writing, you know, what's going on with the bag. So to me, these are good applications, but uh, it's going to be a while before they become real and are, uh, you know, are, are actually adopted. Yeah, but I mean, I think to your point, when you talk about blockchain with ground transportation partners, we looked into it and we have a partnership with Lyft. This is a shameless plug. You can earn true blue points um, when you ride Lyfts um, using the JetBlue app. And we were looking at putting that on the blockchain, and we already saw the second you close your door and get out of that car, you get a notification, hey, you just earned X true blue points. So the time, this, the speed of redemption is already really fast. We didn't need it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting. I also think bags are a huge white space. I think customers' tolerance for last, lost bags is, is nil. It just should not be happening anymore. So there's a lot of technology, even RFID um, and others, that can help improve that. Um, so we already talked a little bit about regulation, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing here the top question from the audience touches on that. Um, how will NDC affect or change Amadeus's current GDS setup? Stefan's in the room somewhere, and he's probably cringing. It's like, what is this man going to say next? (laughs) 
So uh, it is clearly the top question. I'd say a couple of things. NDC is not regulation. It's an industry standard. Um, my perspective, uh, maybe a little bit with rose-colored glasses, we are one of the first ones to embrace NDC. Um, we, we, are, we have a pretty significant internal development going. We are going to be live with multiple airlines and, and agency partners. And frankly, we view NDC as the next evolution in a standard that we understand there is a fair amount of interest you know, from our customers. So our job, and this is going, this is obviously a question very specific to Amadeus. Uh, it says so in the question right there. You know, we are the technology provider to the travel industry. Our customers, you know, are people like Sam and his colleagues, are the agencies. Our customers are you guys and, you know, 690 other airlines that we serve and whose, whose content we enable, you know, to sell around the world. Uh, it's the 600 million traveler bookings that we make every year. To do that, you cannot be dogmatic and say this way or, or nothing. So we have always had, um, even though I have not been a part of the company for, the, for that long, in the 30 years that the company has been around, we've always had a history of doing the right thing and building the right solutions for, for customers. And if our customers feel NDC is the way they want to interact with the traveler, we are happy to be one of the solution providers for that. We are happy to enable that. I don't think this is us coming in the way. I see people um, writing in the press about, we're the middleman, we're going to be disrupted. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We are, we are a good technology provider. I'll go back to the basic premise of what I said. If you bring value to your customers, you'll always have a business. right? And if you dig your heels in and say, my way or the highway, chances are uh, you will not. So... I feel pretty good. You know, we are uh, one of the early adopters of, of NDC. And uh, I think uh, for the customers that want to enable that for their businesses, uh, we are there. Um, another question I see here is the potential for AR um, and VR in our, in our space. And what do you see as kind of the ideal use case for those two technologies? So let's start with AR, which I think is um, is probably, you know, it's got a couple of failed uh, runs, and I think it's probably here to stay more than than before. Um, you guys all remember uh, the Google uh, co-founders wearing their glass on the subway here in New York, and that kind of didn't go anywhere. Uh, but I don't know how many of you have seen the new Google Glass, and this is the one I, I showed you, the prototype we built on baggage handling. This one's got real promise. It's lightweight, it's uh, affordable, uh, it's fairly programmable, and we'll soon get used to it. Um, you know, we are all used to walking on the street, staring at a little, uh, you know, glass and metal screen in front of us. I mean, honestly, look back and think if, if even 10 years ago, somebody had said, you'd be walking in some of the busiest uh, streets in the busiest city in the world, and not actually looking around, but just looking fixated on this. Uh, you'd have laughed, you know, because there's so much to do. It's a sensory overload. And yet, when I walked around last night, when I walked here this morning, most people are on their phones. They're not looking. They're not talking. They're not just absorbing kind of the, the wonder that's uh, New York City. They're on their phones. And I think we get used to this behavior very soon. I think we'll get used to wearing these lightweight, you know, uh, devices, whether on our wrists or on our um, you know, our temples or in our ears or other places, uh, you know, our body. 
And really what it's going to do is going to blur the line between you know, the, our, the different screens that we have. It will become just another screen. And that has the potential to significantly transform you know, the, the travel hospitality space in particular, right? And uh, uh, the use case I told you was you know, being able to see passengers as they're boarding and being able to identify them. Think of that if you're running an, a premium lounge at an airport or if you're running a concierge uh, service or if you're uh, running an executive lounge in a hotel, right? Being able to know who your customers are, even right now, you know, I, I'm multi-million miler on an airline I shall not name, but um, uh, I, I flew them two weeks ago, and they were like, Mr. Jedi, Jerry, oh, forget it, I can't pronounce your name. And I'm thinking, I've been flying you for 20 years, three million miles. You cannot learn how to pronounce my name. That's a shame, right? To me, these are simple uses of technology where you can identify and actually make a genuine connection with your customers. It's not that hard to do. Virtual reality, uh, it seems clunky, but then so was, again, how many of us would have predicted that we'd be booking trips on our computer or on our phone? Um, you know, real story, my first airplane trip, I had a paper ticket. Uh, you know, I had to go to a travel agency's office with a wad of cash to buy the ticket. You know, could you have imagined calling, you know, one of the, the fare portal company agents and just doing it over the phone? 20 years ago, that probably seemed like a, a revolutionary idea. Booking on your phone seems casual today. I think using you know, virtual reality to book trips is not that much of an outlier. The experience needs to get better. It needs to be more ubiquitous. Yeah, and, and how about applications for in-flight entertainment? Um, you know, you see a lot of airlines have announced recently that they're taking out those heavy seatback TVs um, due to weight um, and cost implications. Do you think the next wave there could be VR and AI for in-flight entertainment? I mean, it's, impos it's a possibility. I, I know of at least two airlines that, have, that are trialing it. Uh, keep in mind, these are expensive headsets, so the airlines have to be able to pony up the money for that, you know, just to see if it works out, and I'm sure airlines will do that. Uh, I do think in-flight entertainment is going to be more personalized because of all the certifications you need to go through to get something on an, on an airplane. Um, but once you have the device on an airplane, it's not just entertainment, it's shopping. You know, it's booking your next flight. It's, it's, uh, we have a, uh, a company here that uh, is doing some very interesting stuff around uh, duty-free shopping. What is the concept of duty-free shopping? And do you need a catalog? Or do you, can you just look for stuff when you're lying back, you know, in your airplane seat and, you know, buy a few things and have it waiting for you when you land? So I think certainly implications there. Yeah, and another, we're actually running a VR proof of concept through JetBlue Ventures right now with um, training. Um, and we found it really okay. valuable because I, I think the technology there for in-plane entertainment might not be there yet. They're pretty heavy. You have to charge them. So imagine with everything flight attendants have to do already, having to actually charge the headset on the turns. Um, so what we're doing is we've worked with a company called Striver, um, who have created these virtual reality modules for our crew members um, to learn how to actually properly close the door. Um, and today, we actually have to take an aircraft out of service, which is hugely costly to, hugely costly to JetBlue. Um, and so now, by doing it virtually, we save a bunch of money. Um, and we also really engage those crew members in a new kind of technology. 
Um, so VR has been huge for us for training, and, and, and I think it's just going to become even more impactful. And that, that's a great opportunity if you're an entrepreneur and if you're looking to innovate. Doesn't sound really cool. Doesn't sound like you're doing you know machine learning and the Uber for whatever. But think of it. You know, is the classic example: who made money in the gold rushes? Is the people that sold the shovels, um, uh, you know, uh, to help the miners, right? It's whether the miners found gold or not, the, the people that served them made money. You know, there's a lot of companies that made money building websites for other businesses, you know, who weren't web savvy, but had to go online. Uh, there's a lot of money that I think that'll be made for companies that can help other brands get their virtual reality presence there. And that may not sound very cool, but that's a perfectly legitimate way to uh, to make money in a new technology. Completely agree. Um, and as a, as a parting question, um, as a fellow VC, I have to ask, and I know there's a lot of founders and entrepreneurs out there in the audience. Um, as an investor, what do you look for when in, when you're investing in a company in this space? And, and what advice do you have for for founders who are who are just starting out? So what we look for in particular for the, the Amadeus Venture Fund is we obviously are looking for players in the, in the travel space, the travel technology space. So um, even though you may have a great idea in, in you know, home delivering you know, pre-cooked meals, that may not be something we may be interested in. But if you have um, ideas around, around travel, particularly we are a B2B company. We work with airlines, hotels, uh, travel agencies, you know, cruise companies, airports. Um, if you have ideas, you know, that make sense for our customers, you know, we'd be very open to talking to you. So we certainly look for that. You look for the team. You look for uh, energy, passion. Uh, that goes without saying, of course. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thank I'll you. pass it back to John. All right. Thank you very much. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.